says we're not scheduled to start till. Oh, here we go, and we're live. All right, well, welcome. I am Grant, um, stepping in for Jeremy Rushing of 10K Pitches. This is Eli Hoff. He's joined me. Um, we are going to run through this post loons rundown. I know we all have a lot of emotions right now, so um, just kind of getting started here, Eli. What do you think is going on so far? What do you think of the game? It's uninspiring, and that's been something that we can say of all three of these first few games. And, and like um, like Cal said at the end of the broadcast there, Minnesota United has a season with three losses like this. Even 2017, which was in what we hope is going to be the worst year in franchise history, even then they drew that third game. Um, so it is uninspiring, especially because you know it's a 1-0 game that arguably could have been 2-0, the chance at the end there. And it, it never looks particularly close. You know, you had the the great chance that we'll dive into with, you know, Reynoso putting the ball off the post there in the first half. But, it, but outside of that, nothing great. A few, few semi-decent crosses in there, a little bit of chaos in the box, but that's really it. And on the defensive end, you saw, you know, it, it was a great goal by Austin. It, it really was. You know, you have to give him credit on, on converting that, that cross and the touch and all that. That's a good goal. But... There's just there, there's there's little to be optimistic about, and then I and I think that's that's kind of the takeaway from these first three games. It's it's really confusing because you know I, I'm seeing on the timeline, especially on Twitter, that there's so much talent on this team. I mean, realistically, this is not a bad talent team, but yet for some reason there's just an absolute inability to put it together in the right ways. And you can point at coaching decisions, you can point at injuries, you can point at people playing uninspired at times. Um, Eli, if it's you, you know, what is the number one thing missing from this team right now? That, well, the number one thing is is Kevin Molino. And that's a thing simply admitted. Um, he brought so much to this team, and especially the attack last year. One, he and Reynoso had fantastic chemistry. And, and as we've seen in these first few games, you know, the chemistry seems to be lacking at points, even when there hasn't been a ton of roster shakeup. Um, so, but but I won't spend too much time on that because Kevin Molino won't be coming back this season. So it's uh, it's wrong to spend too much time on that can't happen. I think Adrian Unu will help because he's just he's he's going to be a top class striker. Um, you know everything indicates and points towards that being the case. But again, a striker can only do so much. You know, sure he can score some goals, create more chances, draw more defenders, stuff like that. But he's not going to be fullbacks getting back on a counterattack. That's he's not going to really help with any of that. So that's difficult. I think you know you mentioned injuries. Debassi still being out that hurts as well because he's he's a fantastic center back and and Debassi and Boxel is, is a great tandem right there. Um, so there are, there are a few things I think. I, I think some of it is personnel because when we look at this eleven and what Adrian Heath did with the sub, it's hard to say he did anything wrong or that there's anything that would be better done differently. You know, starting Ozzy and Trap, that's fine. I, I actually, I like getting Ozzy back in the lineup because he plays a different role, sitting back a little bit more defensively there. Um, and then, you know, Gregus coming on as the sub there, that's perfect. Gregus is a fantastic midfielder to be bringing off the bench. You know, you could argue he should have started over Trap. If it thing really know. Um, Dustin on the left wing isn't ideal. You know, maybe you'd like to see McMaster there, but again, we don't really know what the fitness is there or anything like that. So it's just, it's difficult with the personnel on roster right now to say, well, here's the easy fix that could improve everything in this team, could magically be winning these games 3-1. Yeah, I think, so I actually just immediately before this got yelled at for being too pragmatic and optimistic, but I think mm -hmm. one thing that's worth noting on the positive side is that this 
So people are mad that we were supposed to have all this depth, but I think people are forgetting that a lot of these players were supposed to be the backups for future players we're bringing in. So mm -hmm. Adrian Unu is supposed to be the starting nine. So Abila is supposed to be the guy we're bringing on, you know, as a sub. And at left wing, we're not supposed to be starting Dotson. We're supposed to be starting Franco Fragapane. But mm -hmm. also after him, we're supposed to be starting Nico Hansen. And both of those players are not in the lineup right now. So I think on the optimistic side, realistically, this is not the team that we have after May is over with. I mean, it's not. It's just not the same team. No, it, that, it, that's a very fair point. That's a, yeah, that's, a, that's a great point. On the other hand, I will go ahead and say, as somebody who's typically more optimistic towards Heath, Heath has really responded poorly, I think, to the injuries and has not put players necessarily in their best position. I think I've heard from people a lot of times uh, saying that Heath tends to put his best 11 like skilled players out, but not... I think you might have said it last, last uh, post-Loons, Eli, but his, his best 11 players, not his best players in their best positions. And I don't think he did that for this game necessarily. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I don't think that was my take, but that's a fantastic take, whoever said that. Um, I, I think Hassani Dotson starting at left wing is you know the perfect example of that. Um, again, I think he's he's capable of playing left wing. Hassani Dotson is an incredibly versatile player, but I, I think it's very safe to say that left wing is is not his like most comfortable position by any means. I think it would be something in the midfield, probably right back, then probably left back, and then probably left wing is where you start getting you know, and you know even he looked he looked okay as a number ten, but um, but yeah, it, it's it, it's difficult, and like you said, you know there are players coming in who are going to. Uh, we're going to fill those roles and fill those gaps, and it's tough to it's tough to to say too much right now when there are all those you know what could be's what might be's what will be's. Uh, so yeah, when, and I think you know obviously there's kind of you know, like we expect things to improve in certain positions, but I think some of the reason for concern is still you know there are there are guys who should have been just further establishing themselves um, as as starters and, and things like that this year that. That's just that's that's not what's happened so far here. Um, you know, Roman Metner has been good, not as good as we've seen him be. Um, you know, guys like Ethan Finley, who who you know were a little bit more inconsistent last year. We know what Ethan Finley can do, and that's that's not what we've seen from this season. Um, so I, I think those are kind of where the questions come in, and and like you said, this this could be a totally different team by the end of the month of May. Um, I think a lot of fans would obviously hope that it's a completely different team, but we're, we're at a point we're looking at what we've seen. Um, not a not a not a promising start. I think the the takeaways I get from this is that absolutely after this third game we're 0 and 3, right? We have won zero games against realistically two teams we probably should have beaten. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's time to look at who is getting the starts and why they're getting the starts. And I think that you're you're absolutely right. I I'm a Chase Gasper defender normally. I think his last mm -hmm. three games been really rough. I think he had his best game tonight out of the last three, yeah. but it still wasn't good. It still wasn't very yeah. good. He, he still got beaten. I, I largely think if I'm Keith, I'm taking a look at why am I still doing the high press? Because I don't think it benefits much of the team. If you're Heath, Eli, do you, do you keep the high press? Do you go back to the drawing board? What do you think? Maybe in, in there is one possession tonight that has me on the fence because usually I'm fairly anti the pressure that Minnesota United does because you know, just because you put players higher up on the field doesn't mean you're going to win the ball, right? If you're going to press, you have to be 
sort of consistently winning the ball. You know, I don't have, I don't know what a good conversion rate is, but you know, you need to get some results out of having those players. Otherwise, what you're doing as a coach is just putting more defenders further up the field so that pass into the midfield has got past half of your defensive block. You know, so so that's what kind of the high press um, can backfire. And what we saw from Minnesota United last year when they were so successful was kind of the anti-high press. It was packing 10 defenders in super duper tight into, you know, maybe 30 yards of space in different spots in the field. So I'm, I'm a little hesitant to like the press. Um, but for me, you know, talking about Gasper and, and well, you may be a Gasper defender. I think I tend to be one of like a, a more critical of Gasper in general. And, and you're right that he was good and better tonight. But what I think the difference was when I was watching him was that, you know, we know he isn't the fastest fullback out there. So when he was having to, you know, make a sprint back towards his own goal, what he was doing tonight was he was running in a straight line towards the goal instead of running with the winger or attacker who was going. It's sort of, you know, it's it's A squared plus B squared equals C squared. He was taking the straight line instead of the hypotenuse. And that's good for speed. He's covering less ground because he's getting back so that he can hopefully be in front of the defender in the shot and challenge that way. But what that requires him to do, again, plus equals squared, he has to get straight back and then cut to the defender. Or to cut to the attacker, excuse me, while the attacker is just going. And on the first goal, that's what we saw. Chase Gasper was able to get back with good enough speed. But he wasn't able to close down, and that allowed an open cross sent in. Now, you know, there's more of that play you could say, well, Ramon Nair should catch up there, and also it's just a great ball with a great finish. Um, but but that was a trend that, that Gasper's running straight back. And so it's going to be better for him. Again, it's still going to be a weakness the team's target because there's going to be, you know, either space there or an easier chance to get by the fullback. And, and that's that's not going to go away magically. Um, Chase Gasper is not going to, you know, put on the speedy shoes for one game. That Like, I, I believe me, for my own athletic career, I wish you could just put on the speedy shoes. But, you know, that doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. And I think, so... As a defender of Chase Gasper normally, and I'm not tonight, I, I certainly am not. Mm-hmm. I think if you're Heath, you need to be aware of either do I want him to be going farther up the field and how do I compensate by pulling players you know, lower and, and further back, or do I have Chase just sit farther back? And it, mm-hmm. it looked to me like there was neither. It, it seemed like at yeah. times Chase Gasper was almost the only guy on the left wing, and I don't think that suits his strengths at all. And then you have all year where he just wasn't playing well. So if he's not playing well and he's the only guy out there, he's going to get roasted. And he did over and over and over. He was out of position. He was making bad choices. It was not his best showing by any means. No, absolutely. And and it's where having good wingers helps your fullbacks because then the fullbacks are playing an overlapping role when they're getting forward. They're not having to be the primary creator there. They're being, you know, even Roman Metner, the burden was a little bit more on him than you'd probably like to see where... He's, you know, having to do more of that primary facilitation instead of sitting back and crossing and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it puts Chase in an uncomfortable spot. And again, it's it's hurt by not having a true left winger there. Again, Hassani Datsun's a great player who brings a lot. He's just not a natural left winger. So that dynamic felt awkward and uncomfortable. And Hassani was getting centrally a little bit too much before he kind of made the formal switch to number 10 because of the subs. And then that's more space that Gasper or somebody has to try to fill. And then Gasper gets pulled too far forward and then he's having the sprint back. And so there's no easy answers to that without some sort of complete tactical overhaul. One thing I will say, though, for Dotson's case, he was really, really good getting out Gasper. In the times where there wasn't time for there to be two defenders getting back. Dotson was doing a perfect job of dropping behind Gasper or doing what he needed to do to kind of 
you know, like we'd say in basketball, give him the help defense of, you know, where he needs to be. There was one, uh, now now I'm blanking on when it was in the game, but the ball got brought down, Minnesota United's, you know, left defensive side, and Chase Gasper went quickly and tried to take the ball off the defender. It didn't work, which is fine. And he got by, and Hassani Dotson had sprinted down to close off the cross, the goal line. It was like perfect tag team defense on the flank there. It's what a lot of teams have been doing to Mon Matinair so far this year. And so that was really encouraging to see that at least the dynamics seemed to work okay when they were going together on the defensive end, even if it didn't really on the offensive. Agree, 100%. And, and I would love to see more of that. I want to jump in really quick. I'm, I'm following Jeremy's game notes here, but uh, I do want to give a quick shout-out to Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee because they hosted another Loon's Watch Party tonight. They'll also be doing more throughout the season. So you can get some friends together, book an exclusive field time, or you can sign up for weekly $5 pickup games. Just go to 9thStreetMPLS.com to reserve that field time. Sign up for $5 pickup or learn more about 9th Street Soccer and Coffee. Again, that's 9thStreetMPLS.com. So not MLSSoccer.com, but 9thStreetSoccerMPLS.com. So we do have a question here from Jay. I think I can show it. J-Rush QC, sounds familiar. What's the biggest need right now, striker or left wing? For me, it's left wing just because, you know, we know of Uno and, and obviously, but I think striker is an easier position to bluff if you're a team. Um, we see teams do it all the time with a false nine. A false nine means you're playing literally without a striker. You're just putting somebody up there who's not really functioning there. And that's what this team did to some pretty good success last year, including in the playoffs. Robin Lud is the false nine because uh, it, it's something I've talked about quite a few times. When when you're a counterattacking team and you're running four on three sprinting down the field, there are no positions. There is just the guy closest to me, the guy and the guy farthest. Near post, penalty spot, far post for crossing purposes. Doesn't matter who's central midfielder, striker, left wing, right back, any of that. It doesn't matter. And so that's situations where you can bluff a striker when you have guys who can make good runs. When you're doing possession-based stuff, trying to work through centrally in the box, that's where it's harder to bluff a striker. But in general, it's easier to bluff a striker than a left winger because we saw tonight that a hole on the left wing brings your left back into uncomfortable positions. You're just you're not going to get any production or passing out of there. Um, whereas you know if you just don't have a guy finishing centrally, well, you can have a number ten move up into there. Guys crash. It works. So I'm going to say left wing just because I think it's easier to work around striker. Also, I want to just kind of being the box to get the ball at your feet and make something happen. And, you know, we, we can make complaints about Abila or Aguilar or, or whoever we want or even Langsdorf, but, you know, raw probability dictates at some point that if you stand around the penalty spot, sooner or later a ball will bounce off of you in the goal. Um, so, you know, striker can be a little bit easier to bluff for some of those reasons. So, yeah, I think I think left wing is the bigger need. I would agree. I would agree. And I, it sounds like we have, you know, a left wing coming in ideally mm -hmm. before the end of May as well. So these things will change dramatically. Um, I actually thought that Langsdorf, while not perfect, he had some heavy touches. He at least showed mm -hmm. some effort. And I think that was one of the biggest things seeing the new guys come in. We saw McMaster come in. We saw Wea come in. We saw Langsdorf come in. And they all looked like they wanted to be on the field. And I... Man, I just really would love to see more of those guys, at least in a substitution role. Um, out of those three, who do you think played the best? I was really impressed by Langsdorf today. I actually really was. Um, I think he's looked the best of anyone at striker so far. And again, you know, the assumption is Uno's going to take that spot, so we're just kind of talking about who's going to be the backup. Uh, but I thought he brought really good energy, which is what you need out of an impact sub at any position. You need They should look more energetic than everyone else because they're 
coming into a game having played zero minutes versus you know 55 60 65 7 whatever coming so i thought he looked really good there his position was good um you know, and, and he, there were times where he was getting all over the field too, using that energy. Um, there was one possession that he, he lost the ball and ran all the way back to Chase Gasper's spot to try to peel the ball off of Austin. And you know, that's maybe a little bit more than you'd like to see out of your striker. It seemed a little bit kind of the like, you took the ball from me, I'm angry, I'm going to chase you down until I get the ball back sort of sort of play that you know we all do when you're just mad that somebody takes the ball off of you. So that's maybe a little bit more overall than you'd like. But that's the kind of energy that you do want to see, especially in a game like this. So, so talking, yeah, I'm go go ahead. I make the case. I was make say, the just case. Talk, talking about him chasing him down, um, mm-hmm. Hannah and I also thought it was funny that you know he went down kind of in the left corner of the field mm-hmm. at one point to draw that that um, kick, and he grabbed his ankle for about two seconds and immediately popped up. Yes. And I know uh-huh. we were out of time, but it had the vibe of a guy who's like, I only get 10 minutes of game time, so I really need to like make the most of it. So he was not about mm-hmm. to roll around. He got up right away. He's like, all right, got the free kick. I'm going to go back in the lineup, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. He, he acted like he cared. I thought Weya had some really nice movement. Um, again, mm-hmm. for a 17-year-old, he is picking up some of these things so quickly, and I really am high on what he can bring eventually to the team. Absolutely. And, and with guys like Weya and Langsdorf, you're that impact attacking sub later on. It isn't so important maintaining the team's tactical system, because when you're down a goal with five minutes left, you don't really care about maintaining your shape and things like that. Obviously, you know, you have that shape for a reason. That should be your baseline. But what you care about is making runs into space and getting guys to the ball to make shots. And that's where they were so valuable was because they were creating so much movement, running into these pockets of space. You know, way ahead of the, the play at the end there that he ended up, it almost looked like he hurt himself on where he just kind of, the ball was coming in and he just flew to where the ball was going to go. And that's what you need out of those impact subs. So yeah, both of them were, were very impressive. McMaster had a nice shift as well. Um, you know, it, it kind of pales in comparison to the assist he had before just because that was such a f- phenomenal assist. But um but yeah, I think I think fantastic substitutions, and and it goes to show that this team does have depth. They're just missing a few of the starter guys because if what we've seen from depth type pieces are the depth 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 type pieces, gosh, it's a tongue twister. Um, you know, this is this suddenly becomes solid those playing in those roles. Yeah, I'm not trying to make excuses, but I think it's worth noting. And again, if you call me optimistic, whatever. But it is what mm-hmm. it is. We were not playing who we. Hypothetically, if we make the playoffs and everyone's healthy, we're missing our starting center back, missing our starting left winger, starting striker, starting right winger this game. We probably mm-hmm. would be starting maybe a combination of Dotson and Trapp or, you know, I, I don't know what Gregish's form was, so he, he started on the bench. Um, but we're missing like four or five starters here at this point that we anticipate being on the team. And I don't want to make that as an excuse. I think all the players could have played better. I thought there were moments where... Reynoso looked fired up, and then you almost kind of saw him give up. And I don't know if that Mm -hmm. was an injury. Um, I heard that he was maybe cramping, and I get it. Like, I do. I'm not trying to put blame on Reynoso, but he he can't do it alone. You know, he needs help, and if nobody else is doing anything, I guess I was probably most disappointed with Ethan Finley, personally. Um, I thought that there was a lot of chances that were missed. I thought that we rely on his speed a lot, and he did not offer a lot in those terms. Um, and his one-on-one dribbling down the wing was just kind of not what you'd expect from the quality we've seen out of him. Absolutely. And actually, I, I was 
curious, having watching the game, I looked this up while it was happening, and looking at the math at the end, Ethan Finley and Langsdorf have completed the same number of crosses this season, and that's one apiece. Langsdorf has played drastically fewer minutes. One completed cross through three games is not what you want out of your starting right winger. Uh, and, and you know, it's like they're going to be up and down games. Obviously, three games is still a sample size, but that's not a good three-game span at any point during the season. So I do think there are a lot of question marks around Ethan Finley right now, just because we sort of saw it towards the end of last year where he would kind of disappear in some of these games, and it's happening again. And and it's like you mentioned, it looks like right now he's having to do it all himself sometimes. And we all love a do-it-all number 10, but nobody wants to have to rely on the do-it-all number 10. It's part of, you know, it's why Kevin Molino and Reynoso were so good, because they were able to play off of each other, and neither one had to really bear that primary responsibility too much. So... And, and you, you mentioned the kind of body language of Reynoso as well. Obviously, it seems like there was some sort of injury or cramping. But the, the danger with him having to do too much is that he's going to check out. When he's making plays that, you know, aren't... He's making passes that aren't being received, like we saw a lot last week, or just guys aren't doing what he needs them to do, he's going to check out. And, you know, I, I don't like to speculate too much into the kind of... That mental side and locker room side of the game. But, like, that is a legitimate concern that he will check out in games. Uh, if he's if he's not seeing that support and conversion and and kind of work around him, so so yeah, I, I think it, it is concerning to see kind of that imbalance in the attack of what's happening. That you know, I think again, I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I'm, I'm pretty sure Roman Metinier's the best crosser so far, and that's fine. He's a fantastic crosser, but when you're relying on your right back as your primary source of creating chances. There's a reason you haven't really heard of any teams that rely on their right back to create their primary offensive chances. And and we expect more from Reynoso, but it's just not the most promising foundation for so far. It's tough because at the peak of Minnesota United last year, they had Reynoso clicking, Kevin Molino mm-hmm. clicking, and Robin Lude clicking. And you didn't even really need a striker at that point. Kai Kamara did pretty much nothing the entire year. Mm-hmm or whoever we had, you know, the revolving door last year. But yeah. uh, all three of those guys could play off each other and float into different roles. And I, I truly believe once Lude gets healthy, once we bring in some of these pieces, we'll, we'll get to that. What I'm more concerned about is that we don't seem to have a plan without those players. I think mm-hmm. we're currently seeing, you know, Alex uh, McCracken and I talked about it on our last podcast. You know, we're seeing kind of the perfect storm of all the worst possible injuries happening at the same time the only worse injury we could see would be Reynoso getting injured but we're missing Debassi I thought actually quick side note while I'm thinking of it because I'm a little ADD Boxall played very well I thought Boxall played very very well and he covered for so many mistakes that it's like if you think of him being paired next to Debassi or being paired next to Aiko Para even it it makes you feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel Mm -hmm. it it really does and in I think there's, yes, there is there is optimism, and you are right to be optimistic. You know, the the question, and this is where I, I, I've been an Adrian Heath, a very staunch defender of him for the entire MLS tenure. I was a fan of his when he was at Orlando City, and I, I love that hire. I've defended him a lot. But I do think the seat is getting warm, because part of the job of the coach is to look at whatever 11 or, you know, 18, whatever, you know, group of players you're going to have available on game day and figure out how you can win the game using that. It's, you know, it's the GM's job, you know, the Manny Lagos, the Amos McGee, to look at the what we're going to have at the end of the month, at the end of the season, that sort of thing. And obviously, you know, Adrian Heath plays a role in that because soccer does that. And, and a lot of 
teams who you know the head coaches have input. But it's Adrian Heath's job to look at the players he's going to have fit for this game and figure out how to win. And I, I think you can make a case for these games feeling a lot like, eh, well, you know, we'll blow the first five games of the season and hope that we can, you know, just make it up on the back end once we have our guys. That's not a very good strategy because you're you're relying on your current guys getting healthy. That's not very fair to them either. It's, you know, it's a bit of a, it's not tanking. I don't really know what the word for it is. Just kind of a, a waiting for things to happen, and that's not the most. It's plateauing almost. You know, you're yeah, just kind of, yeah. you're, you're maintaining a certain level, and, and you're hoping that the new players will make a difference. But, it, you know, I, I'm always told by my manager at my job, hope is not a strategy. Okay, mm-hmm. you can't just hope that things are going to happen. So, you know, I don't like Jose Mourinho ball where you sit and park the bus the entire game and just try to hit the counter. But maybe that's what we have to do for the next couple of games. Or maybe yeah. we have to structurally change what we're doing. You know, if we do it like a 5-3-2 or something. You know, I don't, I don't know what the solution is, but I think he absolutely needs to respond this next um, coming up game. Um, because I, I, I agree with you 100%. I'm normally a Heath defender, but he has enough talent on this team to at least tie or win games. And I'm not saying he has to win MLS Cup with this current lineup, with people injured and not in the lineup and whatever, but I'm saying he has enough to beat Real Salt Lake and Austin. He has enough, mm-hmm. and we should have won one of those two games. Well, in, in what I think has been interesting this year, um, you know, I would I would ask... We'll walk through a little exercise here. For everyone tuning in, whether you're listening live or on the podcast, try to pin down Minnesota United's tactical identity through these first three games. Like, figure out one thing that they do that is fairly unique to them and consistent across all three games. I haven't been able to think of anything. Do or do well, because <laughs> I know plenty. Of okay, we'll say do. we'll say do we'll say do well. We'll say do well. Yeah. The only thing I can think of that this seems to consistently be part of a game plan is crosses, and that's not particularly unique to any one team. Just about every team in soccer relies on crosses to a certain degree. If we compare that to Minnesota United of last year, by far the most successful season in in MLS, I can think of a lot of things. They sat back and countered. They had a really really tight defensive block. They had guys making good passes in transition, both coming out of the back, going forward, right? That kind of direct play. They were, uh, at one point last year, I remember looking at the numbers, they were they had the most direct passes in MLS. Their differential there was the highest in the league. So they were playing a very unique style there. That's not what's happening this year at all. This feels like 2018 Minnesota United. That, again, watching those games, you can't really pick up the tactical identity. It's sort of like... Well, you know, we'll get the ball to the wings and cross it in, or we'll go up the middle. And, and it's just, there, there's there doesn't seem to be a clear a clear path. And again, that's missing personnel, but these personnel should be trained on that game plan to sit back and counter. And, you know, we're seeing kind of the opposite of that with the high press and things like that. So, yeah, it, it it's concerning to me that there's a lack of a tactical identity, which just feels eerily reminiscent. And again, having your star players helps, but you don't need them to establish a system. Speaking of the high press, I, I was really, really disappointed for all the high hopes I had about uh, Ramon Abila's contributions to the high press. I mean, look, I get it. If you are kind of more of a poacher, I understand that. Um, But I trust the scouting department because most of the players we brought in have been pretty much hits for our team. I'm really shocked at how little he did. Uh, I know Kendra D. St. Aubin and Cal Williams commented on it too, that like he, he just kind of sat around. And it's like, if you give up the ball, we at least need to press 
the other players. We, you can't just like look at it and go, ah, bummer next time, you know? And I think, look, he'll get some goals. I really do think he will eventually. And maybe he comes on as more of a super sub type player, but I mean, dude, you got to give us something. I, I was just really frustrated with that. Yeah. I'll, I'll repeat a take that I brought up last week and I'll keep it real brief because I don't want to repeat, but the most important thing in a striker is not finishing ability or height or size or anything. It's movement and just finding those pockets of space. So, and, and, any striker of any size can be mobile. You could have a 5'7 dude in there. You could have a 6'4 guy, and they could be equally mobile. It's about finding that space. And I, I haven't seen Abula finding a lot of great space. It's why Langsdorf looks so good, because he was finding space. What Abula's skill set seems to be, and this is a take solely in from now watching him with Minnesota United, not any of his you know previous experience. He's really good at hold-up play with his back to the goal. It was the Minnesota United's best chance of the game, Reynoso hitting the post. It was a give-and-go. Reynoso dumps it to Abula, who has his back to the goal. He dumps it back off to Reynoso and rolls. It's like a pick-and-roll of basketball. He comes up, and they both are rolling towards the goal. That's a great, that's a fantastic combo. That's one of my favorite things two attackers can do together in the box, is a give-and-go like that. That seems to be what Abula's skill set is. He's not really going to be the, like, you know, drift behind a center back's shoulder and then all of a sudden speed up and run to the far post where he's going to meet a ball and just poke it in. That doesn't really seem like his skill set. He seems good with his back to the goal, and that's why I'm leaning towards liking the idea of a two-striker setup, that you have a guy like that who can kind of hold up play and serve as, you know, a combination piece for another striker who's going to do more of that movement. So I, you said a 5-3-2, give me Langsdorf and Abula up top while we're still working without... Uno, and, and I like the idea of that. I really do. I mean, it's something, right? Because Chase and Metinier mm-hmm. are already playing kind of a wing-back role anyways. Yeah. I mean, I, you, they call, you know, Metinier a right-back and, and uh, Chase a left-back, but realistically, at some point, they're already in the corner flags. So I can't imagine being much higher than, than how they're getting right now. So we're almost playing that sort of a, a role for them anyways. So why not? try something different i think that's kind of what what i'm getting at here um you know at least for the upcoming matches we we have to put something fresh on the table because what is going on right now is not working clearly no absolutely and and i i almost wonder what if we saw chase gasper as a center back in a sort of three or five back thing where he's playing that outside center back role he doesn't have to get forward as much because chase gasper is a good one-on-one you know isolation stop the guy from getting past you defender when his speed and positioning isn't a factor so if you kind of take that out of the equation does that help i don't know it's not my job to answer those questions thankfully it's a it's mr heath's but it's a question i'd like to see answered if if he is the biggest problem with chase is is the positioning a lot of the time and and the lack of like elite speed he's not a Mm -hmm. slow dude but he's not like elite to catch up and so if he is in between his man and the ball and the goal He's typically a very good defender. That's why I Absolutely. like him and I defend him so much. But we rarely put him in those positions, and they're not benefiting him because he's not a great crosser. Um, I think he's improved a tiny bit, but not much. And so he's getting so far forward, and then he can't recover back. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. So if mm-hmm. left center back and then you know two more center backs, a central center back and a right center back is the option, you know, I, I think that's worth exploring. Or maybe once Debassi becomes healthy, you know, who knows if, if he'll be healthy for the next game? Um, we got a couple of games coming up soon here. Um, I also need to jump in really quick and mention Surfshark VPN. Surfshark VPN is one of the highest rated VPN services available and also has a price that blows comp- competitors out of the water. 
Uh, right now, you can get your Surfshark VPN service for just two forty nine per month. Oh, that's really two forty nine per month. Wow, two dollars forty nine cents per month, eighty one percent off the normal price. He has that in highlights. That is impressive. Just visit Surfshark Deals, Surfshark slash ten k. That's Surfshark slash ten k to take advantage of this amazing deal from Surfshark VPN. Jeremy, you expect a lot out of me to read on the fly. Uh, so I'm sorry if I've mangled that, but we have our next game May 8th at Colorado. And then after that Wednesday, May 12th at home versus Vancouver. And according to recent interviews from Heath, he expected that he would have at least Unu, if not Unu and Fragapane by those dates. I don't know if that's going to happen, but Eli, let's assume, you know, May 8th is going to happen and we're not getting those two guys Let's say Robin Lude is healthy, Debassi and Nico are still out. What are you doing for May 8th against Colorado? Yeah, well, that game's going to be a big one um, because Colorado's the 12th team in the Western Conference. Minnesota United's the 13th team right now. Loons have zero points. Rapids have one. Loons are also the only team in the league to not have gotten a point from their first two or three games. Which, if I may jump in, yeah, it's actually also shocking that the Rapids only have one point because they're not... Yeah. I think they're better than that, too. I think we're better than our score. We need to pull it together. But the Rapids, I mean, I was expecting them to kind of come off hot early, so I don't know what's going on with them right now. Absolutely. And I haven't watched their game, so I can't attest to that, but I expected them to be a quality team this year. And and a road game at Colorado or at RSL is always going to be tough because of altitude. That You know, they have a fantastic home field advantage because their home is a mile into the air. So that's, that's going to be a challenge. And that's going to be a factor, I think, in how much guys like Unu can contribute. If fitness is a concern for him, you know, maybe he can give you 60 minutes normally. He might be pushing it at 45 at altitude. That's a factor. So I, I think that will determine how much they can contribute. Um, I think if if Uno or Fragapani are good to ready and in and good to go, use them. Please, for the love of God, use them because. You know, nothing is happening with, with the team that's out there right now. Um, I, I think I think Dotson at left wing, that's been tried twice now. I'm just not sure that's the answer. I trust Robin Lode more there. Is it perfect? Maybe not. Is it the long term solution? No, but I think it's I think it's the best solution for right now. Um, assuming, you know, Fragapane would be a no there. So I, I think Lud Reynoso and then still probably Ethan Finley, um, though, again, I, I think a case could be made for Ludd at the right and McMaster in there and, you know, have him switch around a little bit. I'd start Langsdorf up top. That's a little bit of the just having seen him tonight and, and seeing that happen. Um, so I totally understand if Heath wants to go with Abula or something like that. And then I'd, I'd go Gregus and Ozzy as the midfielders. Will Trapp just hasn't convinced me yet. He looks like he's still trying to find his spot in the system because... He's not going to be the Gregor just getting all the way forward. He's not going to be the Aussie getting all the way back, and, and that's just a difficult spot. So that's kind of what I'd go with, um, assuming we're trying to be realistic and we're not saying we're going to you know, put out my 3-4-3 three, three here because that's what I'd really do, but we don't have enough time on the pod to, to walk through that. Wait, well, I want to hear it a little. Now you got me you, interested. Oh, okay. Run. Well, okay. It's not a new take. I've championed this before, but you run. <laughs> you run. We'll say, well, the boss won't be back. So we'll say you're running Raitala, Gasper, and Boxy as your back three. I think okay. that works fine. Then you have Roman Metinair as one of the wingbacks. Last year I would have said you know, Raheem Edwards as the left side wingback. Um, it gets a little more awkward 
this year. Honestly, I think McMaster could do it. I think Robin Lud could do it if he really had to. There are options there. And, you know, you're going to have a pretty typical central midfield. Take your pick of Trap, Alonso, and Dragoose. Then at wings, you're going to have Reynoso as one of the wings. And you're going to probably put Finley as the other one that you can kind of do whatever with that. And it's going to be super flexible, those wings. You want them switching sides and going right and going left and going middle. And then whoever you want up top is your striker. I think it amplifies this team's strengths a little bit more by getting a guy like Gasper who's great, like you said, when he's between the attacker and the goal versus trying to catch up, put him in a stronger situation there. Um, you have three backs, that's more guys back, but you also, with those wingbacks, you can get more guys forward. It basically gives you more personnel in both situations, so that's my like elevator pitch of the 3-4-3. That's a good, ele- well, and we arrived on our floor here. For yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that works. I think we need to see something different. If it's me... And I want to phrase this so carefully because I have a lot of respect for Ethan Finley. For the rest of this season, I probably would not start him based on these Mm -hmm. first three games. That's dramatic. I would say for the rest of the month, based on these three games, I would not start him. I would play him in probably all the games. But if it's me, what you saw from McMaster already inspires. If Robin Lude's healthy, he's an automatic start on the right wing, especially when you consider the chemistry that he has with Reynoso. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, you know, Langsdorf or Weya, I know Weya is still very raw, but I mean, we just lost to Austin and RSL. We lost to Seattle, but that's not, you know, as embarrassing necessarily, but what's the hurt? I would rather lose to a team specifically Colorado. If we're playing young guys who, you know, maybe we're getting a little bit extra time for that being said, if we're trying to win, um, I really would like to see McMaster get more playing time. He really did seem to bring a spark. Um, Hassani could start for me. I don't see him being strong on the left wing. I think he starts as the eight. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's just my preferred option personally. Um, But from there, yeah, if I'm Heath, I'm telling Chase to stay back. Like I would tell Chase, your whole job is just to defend. That's it. You're not crossing. You're not doing anything. You can get a little bit past the midway line, but don't go much farther. Um, just focus on that, right? We need to stop the leaky defense right now. I would probably stop the high press. I, I don't yeah. think it's working for the team that we have right now. When we have some of these new guys in, we have some of the, you know, Debassi cleans up a lot of messes just like Boxall. So if we have Debassi healthy, then yeah, let's try it again. But Right now, the high press is not working, and I would table it for now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I yeah, sorry, that, that was just a, a filler. But go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I I agree with that. And in defensively, what I really want to see is the four four two from last year because we know this team is a four two three one. That's not how they defended last year. It was a line of four, a line of four, a line of two, and it was you know the back four being the back four. Then the middle four being the two central midfielders, and then the wingers tucking back and serving as you know. If we want to get really technical with positions, just right and left midfielders, even though positions are kind of weird in defensive blocks. And then it was, you know, early on in the season, it was, you know, Kevin Molino and the striker as the top two, and that was such a good defensive block because it was so hard to pass through it, so hard to find guys to pass to. I want to see that back. You know, don't don't overspace the field. Don't give other players space when they when you don't need to give them space. I like compact defenses. That's what Minnesota did last year. I love to see him go back to it. Um, you know, maybe that isn't something that's been drilled, but 
just keeping those real tight, clean lines, I think would be would be a good thing. So if you're giving your, because we're, we're pretty much wrapping up here, I don't think we need to drag yeah. this one out too much longer. Who is your man of the match for the loons this game? That's that's a and difficult let, let, question. Let's say Austin too. So man of the match for okay. loons and Austin. Yeah, well, I'm now looking at my notes. I forget who had uh, who had the assist on Austin's goal. What his name was. Uh, uh, it started with an S. I have it written down somewhere. Um, anyway, I think he's the man of the match because that assist was beautiful. That placement that it was, you know, he took advantage of the base he had on Gasper and put it just right in a spot where Roman Metinier couldn't get to it. I thought that was tremendous. For Minnesota United, maybe Dane St. Clair. He was uh, he was a redeeming factor. I think Boxell and actually in Raitala, we haven't really talked about Raitala at all. Um, he was a little shaky last game. This game, he was solid. If if you didn't know that he was filling in at center back, you wouldn't really be able to guess it based on this game. So maybe maybe I'll just go really really bold with hot take and say Raitala just because I think relative to the expectations, I think he had the best game because he performed better than I expected from him tonight. And there aren't too many players on the team who who I can say that of. Yeah, I would agree with that um, in the sense of if you're framing it that way, like where we kind of thought he would be, you didn't notice him, which as a mm-hmm. defender is kind of a good thing. You know, if you don't notice a defender, that's usually because you're not making glaring errors. And I don't think he made a lot of like, oh my gosh, get this guy off the field kind of errors. Um, my man of the match for the loons would be probably Boxel. I just thought mm-hmm. he did so much box to box, no pun intended, of just clearing up. I guess not box box, but side to side of, of clearing up yeah. problems. Um, he kind of had a superhuman game this game. So if he's exhausted, I don't blame him. Uh, he deserves a day off for sure. Uh, hopefully they give him a, a nice bath and a massage or something. But um, for Austin, um, I don't know. I'm still so salty, so I can't say anything that's not sarcastic. <laughs> I'm so mad at Dominguez. Like, that was so frustrating watching how many times he would go down. And, like, I get mm-hmm. time wasting is a thing. And going down to draw penalties and, and fouls is a thing. But, I mean, they were just soft, like the, the most soft of like any type of contact he would go down. And it's like, I don't know, you're trying to build a culture as Austin. But I guess they're also trying to scrape a win. And I get that. So I can kind of respect it too. So yeah. if he was on our team, I'd probably be more of a fan of it. Yeah, exactly. That's how it always goes. That's how it goes. When it's your team, you're happy. When it's the other team, it's the dirtiest thing to happen in the sport. Yeah. Since uh, actually, school. my non-sarcastic one would be, um, oh my gosh, who's their captain? I'm playing. Oh, Alex Ring. Yeah, Ring he was had a very really solid. good game. He, he was very really solid. good game. So yeah. kudos to them. They're a very solid expansion team. And I got to say, like you're seeing teams like Nashville and Austin putting the pieces together of how do you start on the front foot? You need mm-hmm. to start with a good spine, start with a good back line, and then you'll figure out. You'll grind out those ugly wins or ugly draws or whatever. But, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Well, that's a good point. And, and I have two quick takes, and then I'll, I'll be done with my yeah, takes. Yeah. One, like you said, well, I think Austin's... Bring the takes. Takes yeah. are great. Oh, okay. We'll bring the takes. We'll bring the takes. I think Austin's a playoff team. Having watched them, you know, so far, I think... Are they sitting on six points? Six points from their first three games? Yeah, they games. have two wins. They lost uh, to LAFC yeah. and then beat Colorado and then beat us. Okay. That's, you know, I mean, Colorado and Minnesota are, you know, based on the way the season's gone so far, pretty easy wins, but... That's a pretty big statement from an expansion team. And they've done a really interesting roster, because there are just so many 
MLS veterans in here. You have guys like Ring, Matt Beasler, uh, you know, Fagundes. Like, I was, you know, I'd followed their roster wheel, but then seeing it on the field tonight, I was kind of like, oh, dang, Lima, he signed too. for Austin? Yeah, Lima, yeah. Like, all these guys are like, oh, dang, he signed for Austin and him? And him? Like, it's a really solid roster. But I'm, they're, they were fun to watch. I'm going to be keeping an eye on them because I think they're just entertaining. Two, my other take is that, I, and I had this written down, I forgot to bring it up earlier, the Loons have to do a better job of supporting whoever's at striker. There were three passes sent to Abula tonight, all three of them from Reynoso. From the starters, I should say, because that's all MLS tracks. You know, none of the starting wingers or midfielders or anybody else got a ball to Abula. That's a factor in striker performance. In those well, Abula kind of came off at the same time as Ray, so that probably would have mm-hmm. made sense statistically anyways. I agree with you. I thought Abula didn't do himself any favors, but we also yep. didn't feed him. Like, get, yeah. get the man the ball and let's at least try something. You know, even if we're forcing it, it's 1-0. It's 0-0. Like, let's do something. I, I'm just so sick of almost playing scared. There were a lot of times, this is my last observation, not really take necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, my last take will be Yeti is the coolest sponsor. I think oh. that's a super cool, that's a super cool yes. shirt sponsor. Target's it, not it, bad, it Yeti's dope. No, it, it looks very clean. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I noticed that on the broadcast that, you know, Austin looks crisp. That that it green, it's a, it's a fun, I, I know we're all kind of supposed to hate Austin because of Anthony Precourt and everything that happened there, but it's a fun brand. It really you is. Can, you can hate the owner and still like the team. I still like That's the fair. team. Yeah. That's fair. Um, I think all the Arsenal fans and any, any I guess, Super League <laughs> fans are kind of <laughs> listening to this part of the conversation. But they yeah, you're absolutely right there. Yeah, yeah, they're long gone. Uh, they're long gone. So, no, my last observation is that there were so many times where we got to, like, the final third, and we just ran out of steam. And it would be Metnir, or it would be Gasper, and we would kind of pass it in the middle, and then we'd pass it to the corner flag, and then we'd pass it back to the, you know, fullback, and then we'd pass it to the middle, and then something bad would happen, and it, it would get cleared out or whatever. And we just, there was not a lot of inspiration or confidence with our offensive movements. And even if it's, like... If it's Foster Langsdorf at the nine or it's uh, McMaster on the wing or way on the wing or whomever, like, just go balls to the wall. Like, you know, give some effort and try something. But this whole, like, really safe passing it back and forth, I don't know if that's a Heath-coached thing, but we were, like, 1-0 with with five minutes of extra time added left, and we just didn't take any chances. And I know you don't want to waste chances, but you also have to – commit a little bit you have to commit a little yeah. bit to make things happen yeah and, and it was frustrating to see this wasn't in those kind of last minute moments but seeing near post corners taken so often those work sometimes Kendra brought it up on the broadcast of I, I gosh I don't remember what game it was that there was just a corner to the near post that Ethan Finley just like met it at the perfect time and flicked it in and it was a beautiful goal and those are good but you know if you think about a ball coming in towards the near post it's hard to score from those really tight angles. It just, it is, you know, what you're kind of hoping for is that you'll kind of flick the ball onto somebody else and it'll be some chaos, but that's just, that's hard to play for versus when you send the ball to somewhere that you can head in from there. I think the last corner of the game was just beamed to the far post. And I'd much prefer that because it's easier to square up and get a shot there versus try to flick it to somebody else and then read the header and put it. So I I thought some of the, the corner strategy looked a lot more like what we saw from early Minnesota United that was terrible at set pieces and not the Minnesota United of last year that was clinical at set pieces. Agreed, 100%. Well, Eli, thanks for joining me. Any last, uh, any more takes just waiting to be unleashed? or? I, I really have, 
I really have nothing. It's a pleasure to be on a second week in the row. I wasn't expecting it, but Jeremy messaged me and said, hey, do you want to do it two weeks in a row? And I said, sure. I'm sure I'll be on at some point. Hopefully that some point will be a win. Um, but at this point, I'm holding my breath. So. Yeah, I'm ready for an optimistic post loons. Jeremy uh, gave me the keys of the Cadillac, and I was like, I don't know if you want to give me this power if we lose, man. <laughs> it's it's going to be rough. But uh, thank you, everyone, to listening. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And... Um, yeah, hopefully next time we have a post loons, you guys will be listening to a very happy Jeremy and whomever joins him. So thanks for listening, guys, and have a great night.